Hello, podcast listeners. Amber Philpot here. Hope you are doing well. You know, back in March, while in Nashville covering the SEC tournament for WKYT, I was given a really unique opportunity to sit down with Aaron Calipari. That is Coach John Calipari of the University of Kentucky, his oldest daughter. You know, she may have a famous last name, but she is making her own mark, if you will, in the world of science and holding her own court at Vanderbilt University School of Medicine with her research on drug addiction and the brain. So we sit down to talk about just that, what she's doing in the lab. We also talk about why she is so outspoken in the social media world. And of course, we talk her family and now her mom's very popular Instagram accounts. From WKYT Podcast, this is Uniquely Kentucky. I'm your host, April Philpotts. Talk to me about this lab. What goes on in here? So our lab is really interested in understanding, you know, how the brain works, how animals make decisions. And so what we're focused on is trying to figure out the cells in the brain that help animals make adaptive decisions. And so things like how you avoid negative consequences and seek out good situations. And we want to understand that on a basic level and then understand how that is dysregulated in substance use disorder. And so our question is really how does experience with drugs or drug exposure change the way that that animals use information to kind of guide decision making. And so with drug addiction, you have you know, drug seeking at the in the face of negative consequences. So you're devaluing a negative outcome and compulsive drug taking. And so we want to understand how those normal basic processes are changed to drive addictive behaviors. The opioid epidemic is out of control here yes. in Tennessee, at home in Kentucky. How do you hope to make a difference for folks? Yes, yeah, so I think one of the things that for me, you know, on a basic kind of science level, we want to understand how this process happens. And that's really the first step to developing treatments. But then on the kind of other, you know, public communication side, I think it's really important to talk about substance use disorder, talk about kind of what factors underlie this and really highlight this as a disease so that we can start to destigmatize this, which is really going to help us you know, raise money to actually improve treatment outcomes, to actually treat people effectively, and to actually help people be okay with seeking out help. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of multifaceted, right? We want to understand the brain so we can try to improve treatment outcomes and also, you know, communicate with the public so they understand kind of where this disorder is coming from and what factors really underlie vulnerability. Why was this the chosen area? Because you could really research anything. So what sort of drew you to this area of concentration? So, you know, I was doing undergraduate research. I was really excited in just about receptor function and how signals were transmitted in the brain. And I actually started as an endocrinologist. So I was really excited about hormonal function and hormonal regulation behavior. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up in a lab that was doing drug addiction work, and I realized that it kind of merged my interests with a major public health problem that was really underfunded and understudied. And so it kind of lets me, you know, have my, my cake and eat it too. I can study the basic science principles that I'm excited about while studying something that really makes a huge difference for public health. We were struck by what's right up here because we hear so much that females are, yes. are ones that tend to immediately get addicted, get hooked. But we were reading this and, and it looks like you're kind of finding some different. So we have a lot of data focusing on understanding vulnerability in women. And so that's kind of one of our major research areas. And so, 
Yeah, one of the epidemiological factors are when you start looking at epidemiological data, women transition to addiction faster, they take more drug, they have more problems with abstinence, they're more likely to relapse. And so what we're really trying to understand is why that happens. What factors make women or females particularly vulnerable to the addictive properties of drugs? And so, you know, we're finding a lot of interactions with hormonal factors and how you know, circulating hormone levels can really influence the way that drugs are acting on the brain to try to understand kind of how maybe we could use some of these systems to improve outcomes or just inform about vulnerability so that people know that they are, represent a particularly vulnerable population. Where does your love of science come from? Has it always been there? You know, it's funny, I, I think I started in science because I was, so I was awful at English. If anyone follows me on Twitter, it's like really clear. There's like a typo in every tweet. I was not good at English or any of those things, but I started in science and it just kind of clicked for me. There was, there, what at the time, I felt like there was always an answer, right? Something binds to this and an effect happens. And to me, that kind of clarity and like logical process was really comfortable for you know how I solve problems. And so I kind of went down that path and then it's almost like I feel like I ended up here by accident. Like every day I just do what's fun and I do what I'm allowed to do and I try to raise money to do our work. And I kind of have changed directions a million times, but it's just, I don't know, I feel like I'm doing what I'm, I love every day. And it's, it's kind of, you know, a, a changing target. It's, I think academics are nice because you can always do something different. And so it's kind of that exciting, you know, new challenge every day. And also this kind of like, you know, problem solving. And then it also helps the public. So it's this kind of balancing of all the things I, I like. It has to mean something when you have put all this work and then I'm sitting here and I see something that says Calipari Lab on it. That seem, must seem really important and special to you. It, it really is because you know, you go, academic science is really hard, right? There's like 10 things that have to align for, for you to be here. You know, you have to have gotten into the right graduate school and had someone who cared enough about your career to mentor you, to get where you are in a position to be successful, right? So opportunity is a big part of this. And so you look back and you say, who were all the people who really helped me get here and what did they do to help me get here? And so you have that first thought that's, oh my gosh, how am I here? But then the second thought is, okay, why am I here and how can I make, recreate that opportunistic pipeline for my students and my postdocs and how can I help them get here as well? Um, and so it's kind of, I don't know, it's a fun thing because it's, you know, it's both the end of a training period but the beginning of somebody else's. And so I get to kind of, you know, help other people now get to where I am or wherever they want to be. Have you, you know, learned anything? Obviously, your dad being who he is and being a coach and kind of, I hear a lot of the same things about mentoring. Have you kind of instilled <laughs> that in, in what I, you do in here? Is that completely not like, the case? I feel like I wake up every morning and it's like, you know, when you're young, your parents are always wrong, you're brilliant. And then you go through this phase where it's like, I'm starting my own lab and I have a team of people that I am, I'm leading. And I like wake up and I'm like, oh, my dad was totally right. And he and he was. And so I think the one great thing is sports are very similar, right? You have mm -hmm. a team of people working together to get to for a common goal. So your goal is to help people kind of realize their potential, but also figure out where sacrificing for the team benefits everybody. And so, you know, convincing a bunch of people that like we have a common goal, let's figure out what our common goal is together. It's not me deciding what it is, it's us. How do we kind of you know, do science in a way that helps everyone. And maybe someone sacrifices here so we can all do well. And it's really very similar principles, mm -hmm. maybe on a longer time scale because we don't necessarily have a, a game and there's not a wins or wins or losses that way, but there's still these successes and how you celebrate them and how you push people. And so it's, 
oddly similar in a, a good way, I think. You're like, darn it. Yeah, no, um, I know. Have you had like a, a breakthrough here in the lab that you were like, oh my gosh, and what was that moment like? Oh man, there's always so many. Mm -hmm. Usually, you know, you have these plans, you start down a path and you have this plan for an experiment, you have a hypothesis and you're always like, okay, this is how the outcome is going to be. And then you find something and it's wrong. And at first you're like, oh, that sucks, I was wrong. But then there's always this kind of eye-opening experience where you're mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, but it's something else we hadn't thought of. And so, you know, our most recent manuscript that just came out um, was focusing on how the hormonal cycle in women um, influences the way they learn information about cocaine and associated stimuli in the environment. Mm -hmm. And so one of the interesting things about drugs is what they do is they increase learning about rewards and outcomes. And so what we were finding is that when women or females had high levels of circulating hormones, it increased the learning about cocaine and these predictive cues in the environment. And what these cues were able to do later was trigger drug seeking and increase drug consumption. And so it was such an interesting thing that it was a kind of more complicated process than we thought, where women are actually just more capable of learning these associations. And then these, these triggers, these cues can trigger behavior later um, to influence drug seeking and potentially if you're thinking about this in the context of humans, they might be more vulnerable to relapse. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Sorry. I kind of yeah, geeked, geeked out for a minute yeah. just going through that with you. Um, is there, you have to have an immense work ethic to, to get through all of the, the schooling and then yeah. to do this. Does that come from somewhere? Does... Uh, probably a massive fear of failure. Um, no, I think that, I think one of the things that makes me the happiest in my life and actually, you know, is, is, is figuring out I could do things I didn't know that I can do. And so kind of having a little bit of self-doubt and then reaching that next kind of milestone and saying, oh my gosh, I did this, that's really great, what else can I do? And so that motivates me a little bit, but I think the biggest motivator for me, especially in my own lab now, is to not be the rate-limiting step in the success of my trainees. And so I think one of the things I'm most afraid of is preventing them from reaching their full potential. So I end up working really hard, but not necessarily because I want to, I do, but because I'm horrified of being in their way. And so, you know, I want to help them get ahead. I don't want to be the thing where they're looking and saying, well, you haven't done this, so I'm waiting on you. And so I think I work this hard specifically so that as hard as they work, that's how well they'll do. You must lay, do you lay awake at night thinking about that? I feel like you Oh do. yeah, you I'm like, like horrified. Yeah, I, I have I feel like that Slack about on you. my phone, I'm messaging them all the time. I'm like in the airport, like getting on an airplane, answering questions and things like that. So now I'll ask you a couple things non-lab related. Yeah. Let's talk about, first of all, I just have to know, were you ever athletic? Did you play sports? So I shouldn't tell you this because you can actually look up oh, no. stats. I played college basketball. Okay, I didn't know that. So, so I played at UMass for two years um, okay. and then realized that that a scientific career was probably more uh, in the cards for me than uh, maybe a basketball career. But yeah, I played I played okay. sports throughout my entire basically child, young adult life, and then into college actually. I did not do my homework well enough on you. I should have known oh, that. Oh, well, if you look it, it up, you'll find out that I wasn't good at all. I mean, I was on the team. The older you get, the less people like look it up. They're just like, wow. That's impressive, and you're like, mm, yes. Not so much. Yes. Um, social media. You yes. are a huge force on social media, and you will, you will go at anyone <laughs> if they come at you. Yes. Where do, in the world does this come from? Yeah. So I think you know. I think that there was a large part of my young adult life where I was kind of figuring out who I was. I wanted people to like me, and there was this kind of you know different thing with my family where people didn't like me before they knew me, and it was kind of this 
transformative experience where you know I really had to figure out who I was and how that differed from other people's opinions of me. And so it's like now that I'm an adult, if people say stuff, I call them out because it's just like this is what I am and this is what it is. And I think it's kind of a, a little bit of a protection mechanism for people just being like, maybe don't do that. It's amazing the things people will say to you. But I don't know, it's, it's kind of a, I think I'm more likely to do it if people are insulting my family or people that I care about than myself because I just don't care when they do it to myself. But then I also, when they do it to other people, I feel like I'm a little bit more. But you also give your brother a hard time too. Well, I mean like, you know, he's the Italian son. So you have to like keep him balanced, right? The parents are building him up and then the siblings are from keeping him humble. And so that is uh, my role and uh, in my family. <laughs> Talk to me about your mom and being on Instagram. Are you shocked at how people just are oh, at home? People are in love with her Instagram. Oh, I love, I think that they should be. I think this is, I've known my mom forever and I think that she focused on my sister and me and my brother came much later, but us and really making sure in a really unstable environment, we moved all the time, we're in the public eye, that we had a safe, supportive home life that was stable and I think that that took all of her effort mm -hmm. and now that Brad is in school and that I have my own career my sister has her own career she kind of has this time where she can be herself and do what she wants to do for her and so it's so inspiring to see her just be herself out in public now and see the person that I always knew she was other people get to see how awesome she is and so I'm like not at all surprised that people think she's great but I'm happy that she gets to see how great everyone thinks she is because she's really amazing last question to you I know you know we, we tend to think about you know sports and that with social media with you but I would imagine that this really gives you a, a cool platform as well for science yes when I was younger I was really I really wanted to be an individual and science is a perfect place to do that because people don't really they're not as into sports some people are but it's a, more of a disconnect and so I think I was really big on like in developing my own individual identity and now I kind of have realized that, you know, substance use disorder is such a big public health concern. And I can scream at that at scientists all day, but they already know. And so this gives me a platform to kind of communicate who I am to people, but also communicate to pu the public in a way that lets me really bring attention to this really important disease in, in a way that I wouldn't be able to otherwise. And so I think part of the reason I've started embracing this is because of how critical this is to public health and what a unique platform I have. By the way, Erin Calipari got her undergrad at UMass, her PhD at Wake Forest, and then her postdoctoral training at Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai. She is wicked smart, and it is so interesting the work that she is doing that could potentially help save millions of lives as the opioid epidemic rages on. So a big thanks to Erin Calipari for talking to us about what she does and what she's doing in her lab, but also opening up a little bit about the Calipari world and her family. Hope to see you next time on Uniquely Kentucky. Until then, happy listening. I'll see you on WKYT.